0: Amen. All right, have a seat. Again, uh, welcome to everybody who's here, those that are online. Uh, We're starting a new sermon series today called Habits, and I want to start with a couple of questions. Did anybody, uh, show of hands, if you don't care, anybody make some New Year's resolutions this year? No, seriously, like, show your hands. Wow. Okay. I didn't either. So I'm with the majority here. So I'm not sure if this is good or bad. We may have to unpack this a little bit, but um, well, let me ask you another question. Do you have some goals for your life? Show of hands. Okay. This is better. <laughs> a little concerned maybe if you don't have any goals, that could be a problem. Um, so let me ask you a question though. Do New Year's resolutions make you successful? There's some studies that show that about 92% of them are out the window by Valentine's Day. Do goals make you successful? Okay, I'm getting some yeses, I'm getting some nos. It, it, it's, it might, it's probably gonna be hard to be successful without some goals, right? If you aim at nothing, you usually hit nothing, Right? But I would argue that goals in and of themselves do not make you successful. Simple analogy. So uh, back whenever, uh, I haven't been into football this year, but back whenever football started, there were 32 NFL teams. They're back in training camp. All 32 of those teams, what's their goal? Win the Super Bowl, right? Now after last night, there's six teams left. Before, left, after today. Figured I'd get some shouts from the Bills fans around here because we uh, have some people from upstate New York. But uh, 32 teams, all with the goal of winning the Super Bowl, one of them is actually going to win the Super Bowl. Right? So apparently the goal in and of itself is not going to make them successful. Let me take it a step farther. I would argue that we all have pretty much similar goals in our lives. Now, think about it. And let, let's, let me talk to Christians for a minute, because we should have some similar goals. Uh, if, if you're a Christian, you should have the goal of being close to the Lord, obeying Him, having a fruitful walk, uh, being used by Him, those kind of things, right? Right? Um, We should, I think, pretty much are going to have the goal of, you know, we want to have a healthy, happy, strong, lasting marriage, right? Anybody's goal to make your spouse miserable, end up hating each other, divorce each other, and be bankrupt. I I don't think so. You have a goal of having a good, strong marriage. You have a goal, uh, if you're a Christian, I would say of you know, raising godly kids, raising solid kids, or at least raising kids who are gonna stay out of jail <laughs> and uh, take care of you when you're old, And uh, right? I mean, we have some goals like that. You probably have a goal of being financially sound, maybe being debt-free, owning a home. Your goal is probably not uh, to be in bankruptcy court in, in, in a few years, right? I would say we have some pretty similar goals. Why do some people achieve those goals and some people don't? Because at the end of the day, all the goal does is give direction. What determines whether or not we reach those goals is what we do day in and day out. See, I believe, that this is the point I've come to in my life, that the key is not even so much the goals, it's our process. It's our habits, it's our disciplines. It's the choices that we make. And really that's what I wanna talk about today is changing the outcome of our lives by changing the choices that we make. You see, I think all of us would probably want some different outcomes. You probably wanna have a better marriage. You probably wanna be stronger spiritually. You probably wanna be in a better financial position. You probably wanna be a better parent. You probably wanna be a better friend. You probably wanna be healthier and and, and in better shape. You probably want all those things, but I I think a lot of times we do like Disney thinking, like magic fairy dust uh, sprinkled on things. It's what's gonna fix things, and that's not what fixes things. If we wanna change the outcomes, we have to make different choices. Or in the wording of the passage we're going to look at today, we could say, if we want different fruit, we got to sow different seeds. And so, are we willing to modify our lives, to order our lives in such a way to make choices, to have disciplines that are going to honor God, and they're going to produce growth and fruit in us? Craig Rochelle says this, and I think it's very wise. He says, successful people do occasionally or do consistently what other people do occasionally. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Most people go on a health food kick every once in a while. Most people decide to exercise every once in a while. Maybe you decide to be nice to your wife occasionally. But Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. To me, uh, this series is so important and it can be so practically helpful to us. Kind of what led to this series uh, for me is honestly, I think discipline is something that I've struggled with over the years that I've tried to turn a weakness into a strength. When I was in school, I was a good student but I didn't have good study habits. Uh, I would work hard, but I would work dumb because I would procrastinate really bad. Any procrastinators in here? Uh, I, I think that kind of you know, spilled over into my work life when I became an adult and sometimes you know, I wouldn't do the most important things first. I think probably a way that it affected me is just like when I was in college, I weighed about 180 pounds, uh, but then I got to a place in, uh, I I don't know, sometime when we lived in Maryland, uh, sometime around 30, where I weighed, I don't remember the exact number, but somewhere between 245 and 250 pounds. Well, you don't gain 65, 70 pounds overnight. You do it daily, and you don't lose 65 or 70 pounds overnight. You do it daily. Um, And so this is something, you know, I've kind of been working at for years, but sometime in 2019, I'm bad at remembering dates. Uh, Really, it's something that I kind of decided to take up to another level. And I think kind of what happened was, um, you know, something about knowing that I was turning 50 the next year hit me. And, and, And the way that it hit me was not really me getting depressed, It was actually me getting motivated in in, in thinking that however many years, uh, however much time I have left, that I want to day in and day out, use that time to the full for the glory of God and to just have as full of a life as possible in the will of God. And so, you know, this that's where kind of, I guess, a new emphasis on process came for me, not just, I mean, spiritually, but physically and in, in, in a lot of different ways. And... Um, uh, you know, and some of that, you know, is thinking into the future. I mean, thinking, you know, being 70, 75, I still want to have a fruitful ministry. Uh, you know, I want Robert and I to have an awesome marriage. I want my kids to respect me. Uh, grandkids, maybe at that point, uh, to respect me, and so on and so forth. But I'm, I'm not so much thinking about the future, I'm thinking about today. And, you know, one of the ways that that uh, really turned into a blessing for me, and, and I think this is how this gets practical, is, you know, last year, it was a very challenging year. You know, Robin went through cancer, COVID. But, but one of the things I found you know, in the middle of that is if I just focused on what I could control and my habits and my processes and my disciplines and the way I felt like that God wanted me to order my life day in and day out, it eliminated a lot of that stress and, and, and a lot of worry because I'm just doing what I can do that day And see, I think in life, we spend a lot of time worrying over what we can't control instead of controlling what we actually can control, which is the choices we make, the habits that we live by. And so I think the more that we stop trying to live five, 10 years in the future, the more that we stop trying to control what we can't control and start trying to do what we can do, what God has called us to do today, the better our life's gonna be, the more fruitful our life's gonna be, the more God-honoring our life's gonna be, and really, the more peace that we're going to have in in our lives. Uh, Karen Uhoff has a saying where he says, live today in a way where you can thrive tomorrow. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And so, as we get into this, really where we're going to start today is I want to try to lay a foundation of trying to show us some scriptural truths that I hope will develop some conviction in us that we can build on real practically over the next few weeks. And I think this message in this series is both challenging and encouraging at the same time. Here's the sense in which it's challenging There is no magic fairy dust. Listen, I I think a lot of times that it really is how we approach our problems. We think somehow our marriage is gonna magically get better. Or sometimes we think, and, and, and this may sound wrong to some of you, sometimes we think we can pray our problems better. But, and, and, and that's not untrue, but I think we look at it in the wrong way. I think because we, we think we pray a prayer, everything's going to get fixed. But really, the answer to our prayer may be some repentance and some making some different choices because you can't keep sowing the same seeds and expect some different fruit because you're praying against Scripture when you pray that way. And God doesn't answer our prayers when we pray against Scripture. We need to get over the magic fairy dust solution kind of thinking. So, I, I, I want to challenge us in that way. I, I want us to stop lying to ourselves. We know better than that. Your friend comes to you looking for advice and, and they're saying stuff like that, you're going to call that out, but we can still do it ourselves all day long. But it, I, I think this is encouraging in this sense. You know, sometimes as a pastor, people come to me and they're just kind of overwhelmed by their circumstances. And, uh, you know, sometimes we can get overwhelmed and almost get paralyzed of like, what can I do? I, I don't know. How can I change this? And a lot of times we can't necessarily change our circumstance, especially in a day, but we can change our choices. And daily things can change. Things change daily, usually not in a day. And so, here's what the Bible says that I think lays a foundation for this. If you'll go to Galatians uh, chapter 6, and we're just going to read four or five verses, and then I want to give you three biblical principles from these verses that, that I think are convictions That we can can become convictions that we can build our lives on. Galatians chapter six is is Paul is wrapping up what he's what he's taught here, and you know Paul was addressing some false teachers in in Galatia who were uh, adding. Uh, works to grace. They were basically trying to say you're saved by faith plus works. Paul is uh, reaffirming that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And he's taught us then that once we're saved, uh, that you know the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and we're to live the Christian life and the power of the Spirit. And I think in a sense, he kind of brings these themes together. And he says in Galatians 6, let him who has taught the word Share in all good things with him who teaches Do not be deceived And that literally means don't lead yourself astray In other words, stop lying to yourself Stop fooling yourself It says God is not mocked And that literally means that we can't thumb our nose at God We can't sneer at God Why? Why? For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to his spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Here's the first principle. When I make choices, I am choosing the outcome because I always reap what I sow. When you make a choice, you're choosing the outcome. And I put these in the first person because I really want them to be things that we can say for ourselves. When I make a choice, I'm choosing the outcome. Why? Because I reap what I sow. We know the law of the harvest is true. I mean, we see it in the physical world. You know, this is so obvious that basically every religion believes this. I mean, it may get twisted around in some religions. It gets called karma and, and, you know, not exactly, you know, a biblical, not exactly the, the full truth of it. But the idea is just so evident in the world that basically every religion believes some form of this, that we reap what we sow. Now, there's a book that I would highly recommend to you uh, called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And you'll probably hear a lot from this book during this series, and he puts it this way. He says your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Now, as I read this, I understand uh, there's not just one factor that goes into things. And, And sometimes, you know, you can be real disciplined financially, and maybe you have some unavoidable financial crisis. I'm not saying that can't happen. You know, you can take real good care of yourself physically, and, you know, you can run every day, and some people who do that still die of a heart attack. I'm not saying there's not other things at work. But as a general rule, what he's saying is absolutely true. He says this, your outcomes are a lagging measure of your habits. Your net worth is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your weight is a lagging measure of your eating habits. Your knowledge is a lagging measure of your learning habits. Your clutter is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. You get what you repeat. It's the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest always works. What is the law of the harvest? It's I reap what I sow. Right, when I worked on my grandparents' farm growing up and we planted tobacco plants, we never raised potatoes there. When he planted apple seeds, it didn't turn into an orange tree. We reap what we sow. But we reap more than we sow. Think about it, a small seed produces a big harvest. Um this principle, there's, it's like compounding, uh, compounding interest for good or for bad depending on the seed that we're sowing. And remember, the seeds that we sow and what we reap out of it uh, often affect other people as well. You know, one of Satan's lies is it's your life, you do what you want, it's not gonna affect anybody else, but we know better than that. I mean, I think about an example in Scripture uh, when uh, Abraham and Sarah got impatient and waiting on God, and Sarah said, you know, take my uh, maid, and, uh, you know, Abraham fathered Ishmael uh, through her, and we're still reaping the consequences of that action today in the whole Arab-Israeli conflict. I reap what I sow, I reap more than I sow, but I reap later than I sow. It's a lagging measure. You ever thought about that? I mean, uh, once again, when I worked on my granddad's farm growing up, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't sow the seed in the morning and reap the harvest that evening. It takes time. But here's something to think about. This is biblical. I heard uh, Craig Rochelle uh, pointed out, and and he's right. Good habits are challenging at first and rewarding down the road, but bad habits are easy or or rewarding at first and destructive in the long run. You ever thought about that? I mean, it's biblical. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season, but the wages of sin is death. Think about it. I wanna illustrate it to you by, by using a morally neutral habit, a positive habit, and a negative sinful habit, okay? Here's a morally neutral habit, going to the gym. Going to the gym in and of itself is morally neutral, so whether you do or you don't, you know you're not in 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 sin. Now I would argue that it's probably a wise thing to do. But think about it: you haven't been working out for years. You decide to start going to the gym for about a month. You're going to be miserable. That's just how it works. Been there, done that. You're going to be sore. <laughs> I mean, you're just you're just not going. It's going to be hard. But then at some point, three, four weeks in, something like that, you're gonna start feeling better. And over time, if you keep doing that, you're gonna to get to the place where you feel bad if you don't go to the gym. And it's gonna kind of become a part of you. But good habits are challenging at first, rewarding down the road, I mean, think about spending time with God. This is a good habit. This is a biblical habit. If if you're a Christian, if you decide, you know, you hear this message decide, you know, I should start getting up earlier so I can spend some time with God before I go to work or to school in in the morning. That's probably not gonna be a pleasant experience because it's gonna involve changing your routine and the alarm's gonna go off earlier and you're gonna be sleepy and grumpy And you're gonna hit the snooze maybe or at least be tempted to hit the snooze. And so it's gonna be challenging. But over time, if you pursue God and as you meet with God, maybe not every day because we're all human, but a lot of days you're gonna be excited about getting up and meeting with God. Think about a sinful habit. If you decide to watch pornography, that's gonna be enjoyable at first. I mean, let's not lie about it. You're gonna look good, you're gonna feel good, you're gonna have dopamine going crazy in your brain, and you're gonna feel good. But in time, you're gonna have to deal with guilt, shame. You're gonna have to deal with probably broken relationships, You're going to have to deal with the law of diminishing returns and and, and continually getting into more and more deviant things to try to get the same high that you got the first time because you can never replicate that first dopamine high. You're going to have to hide. You know, there's a lot of medical research now showing that there are many men in their 20s who are incapable of performing sexually with an actual person because of how much time they've spent in in pornography. And so that's where it leads. There's pleasure in sin for a season, but the wages of sin is death. Why? Because our habits lead to the outcome, and the outcome is just simply a lagging measure of our habits. So what this means for us then practically is is that we can't keep doing the same thing and expecting different results. That's insanity. Show me your habits and I'll show you your future. Show me your habits and I'll show you your future. Show me your marriage habits. I'll show you where your marriage is gonna be in five years. There's no way around this. This means that I am not the exception because there are no exceptions. How much do we think that way? I can get away with this. God will be gracious, that kind of thing. Listen, it means I can't mock God by living however I want to live and expecting his blessing to be on it. Jeremiah 2.19 says, your own wickedness will correct you and your backslidings will rebuke you Know therefore and see that it is an evil and bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. Theologically, this is called the consequential wrath of God. It means that there are inescapable consequences built in to sin. Let me illustrate it in a practical way. There's a great little book called A View from the Zoo by uh, Gary Richmond, who was a pastor and whatever you call somebody who works in a zoo that I don't remember the name of right now. He worked, he worked with animals. Um, you, you know I'm not a pet guy, but I won't make any cat jokes right now. I've been good about that. I have not made any cat jokes in a really long time. I'm growing. So, but, but, but he, he writes this. He says, Bandit was irresistible. No raccoon that ever existed had more normal cute than this 90 day old bundle of mischief. When my neighbor Julie bought him at the pet store, she was sure they would be lifelong friends. Everywhere she went, he went, usually perched on her shoulder. Bandit's habit of holding Julie's cheeks in his paws and looking into her eyes with curiosity always melted her and solicited an affectionate kiss and hug. And he grew. 18 months passed, and Bandit became a strapping, 25-pound adolescent raccoon, still full of the dickens and only slightly less playful. He still loved affection, rode on shoulders, and seemed to be a one-raccoon advertisement that raccoons make great pets. I mentioned Julian Bandit to our zoo veterinarian one day and inquired as to why more people didn't keep raccoons as pets. His answer floored me. He said, they undergo a glandular change at about 24 months. After that they become unpredictable, independent, and often attack their owners. Are there exceptions, I inquired. None that I know of, he said. Then Julie is likely to be bitten. Any time now, I should think, the doctor added with conviction. Since a 30 pound raccoon can be equal to a 100 pound dog in a scrap, I felt compelled to mention this coming change to Julie. She sat and listened politely as I explained what an eminent world authority had shared with me concerning raccoons and their nature. I'll never forget her answer. It will be different for me. Bandit is different. Bandit wouldn't hurt me, he just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. That happened about 15 years ago, and I've heard Julie's reply many times since, but it will be different for me. Rob, a 16-year-old boy, said, I know what I'm doing. It's different for me. I know all about dosages and stuff. My dad is a pharmacist. Rob overdosed six months later and spent two months in a mental ward. Judy, a 15-year-old girl, argued, I know he's been around, but it's different with us. He really loves me. He really does. Judy Judy is now 25 and living at home with her 9-year-old son, who has never met his father. Jerry, an 18-year-old college student, declared, I'm different. A few drinks don't slow me down a bit. Jerry is dead now, and he took three friends with him when he drove off an embankment. They were all drunk. Pat, a 35-year-old woman, contended, my kids are different. They'll be able to handle the divorce fine. I'll spend more time with them. Besides, my lover is great with kids. Pat divorced her husband and got remarried to her lover. She, re- she divorced again after he tried to kill her. The children haven't slept well for years. All of us need to say, it won't be different for me. And I think all of us need to ask ourselves the question how am I lying to myself? Where am I deceiving myself? Where am I telling myself that it's going to be different for me? So, if we want to have different outcomes, we got to make different choices. That leads to number two, to have better outcomes, which is what I hope we're shooting for, to have better outcomes, I have to make different choices. In other words, if you and I want a better harvest, we gotta sow different seeds. I think we need to stop focusing on the outcome, stop focusing on the fruit, stop focusing on the results, and start focusing on the seed. Focus on the choices. Where do we need to make different choices in our lives? This is what the Bible calls repentance. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action, which can lead to a change of outcome. But the reality is, Pastor Jeb Wilhite's right when he says most of us don't really want changed lives. We want changed circumstances. James Clear writes this again in Atomic Habits. He says, if you want to predict where you'll end up in life, All you have to do is follow the curve of tiny gains or tiny losses and see how your daily choices will compound 10 or 20 years down the line. Are you spending less than you earn each month? Are you making it into the gym each week? Are you reading books and learning something new each day? Tiny battles like these are the ones that will define your future self. Want to have different outcomes, We have to make different choices. Somebody ask us a question. If we got real honest about, um, if we got real honest about our habits and just the way we're living day in and day out right now and we play that trajectory out for a year, five years, where are we gonna be in our walk with Christ? Where are we gonna be in our marriage? Where are you gonna be career-wise? Where are you gonna be financially? Where are you gonna be in your friendships? Where are you gonna be in your health? And once again, I understand there are things that other people can do, there are things that happen outside of us that, that can affect this, but I'm just saying, just based on your choices, where are you headed? And so I wanna ask us this question. What's one change What's one choice that you could make right now in your life that could begin to change the trajectory of your life in a particular area? What's one change? What's one choice? What's one different seed that you could sow? We can all do that. And if we're honest I think right now the spirit of God or just your own thoughts, there's things that are coming to your mind. This is an area I need to change. This is something I need to do. This is a choice I need to make. This is a habit I need to start. Maybe it's a habit I need to break. What's one change? What's one choice that you can make that you can begin to implement that's gonna change your life right now? I just challenge you, in the presence of God today before you leave to make that choice. But there's one more principle I, I wanna show you as we finish today because uh, you know, I'm certainly not here just to preach a self-help kind of message and that's not what this uh, text is ultimately about. Um, you know, we reap what we sow, but then let, let's look at, at verse eight. Uh, so if you Put verse eight back on, on the screen again. Look at what it says. You know, it said, do not, verse 7, do not be deceived. God's not mocked. But then, f- verse 8, it says, For he who sows to his flesh, which in the context of Galatians is our old sinful nature, he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap corruption. Everlasting life. So here's the principle. The ultimate way to change my earthly and eternal outcomes is to trust Jesus and to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. The ultimate way to change both my earthly and eternal outcomes is to trust Jesus and to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two sides to that, and I want to break them down for us. So, number one, there are always consequences to our actions, but the good news is that we can be forgiven because Jesus reaped what we sowed on the cross, You see, this is the good news of grace. That one time in the history of humanity, the law of sowing and reaping got interrupted. Because on the cross, uh, I didn't reap what I sowed. Jesus reaped what I sowed for me in my place. And where if I trust him, it's not going to change uh, necessarily the earthly consequences of my actions, but it will bring forgiveness and change the eternal outcome of my life. That's grace. Look at what uh, Paul wrote earlier in Galatians in chapter 3, starting in verse 10. He says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them now you say what's a curse you know some of you may have been taught it's something like some generational curse that's passed down from your family that is biblically inaccurate go back to Genesis 3 the law first mentioned in the Bible a curse is a judgment from God based on sin we are under the judgment of God because we have failed to keep the law of God and he says curse Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things. So you may be an awesome person in a human sense, but unless you've been perfect and obeyed God and done everything in your life for the glory of God, you're under the curse or you're under the judgment of God. He says then, but that no one is justified by the law of God and the sight of God is evident. For the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. But here's the good news. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In other words, we were under the judgment of God, we were condemned, we were cursed, but Jesus, the perfect, spotless Son of God, the Lamb of God, went to the cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. The perfect one was cursed in our place. The righteous one bore our unrighteousness. He reaped what we sowed so that we could be forgiven. That's grace. Are you trusting him? Listen, You want your life to change now and forever? That's the first step, repenting of your sin, repenting of your self-righteousness, repenting of your uh, religion, acknowledging that you're a sinner, acknowledging that based on what you sowed, what you deserve to reap is condemnation, is death, is hell. But looking to Jesus for grace and mercy. Bono, the lead singer of U2, put it this way. He said, it's a mind-blowing concept that the God who created the universe might be looking for company, a real relationship with people, but the thing that keeps me on my knees is the difference between grace and karma. You see, at the center of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics and physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe, I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that. As you sow, you will reap stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. That's between me and God, but I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. The point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out did not come back to us and that our sinful nature does not reap the obvious death. That's the point. It should keep us humbled. It's not our own good works that get us through the gates of heaven, trust Jesus. But number two, we can change our choices and therefore our outcomes through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can change our choices and therefore our outcomes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, greater is he who's in you, the Holy Spirit, than he who's in the world. That takes away our excuses. Listen, we still have this old sinful nature but we have the risen Christ through his spirit living on the inside of us. The resurrection power of Christ is within us. We can choose to live differently. Let me read one more thing to you. It's from a book called The Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges. It's one of these books that I think every Christian ought to read. And he says this, the more we sin, the more we are inclined to sin. Every sin we commit reinforces the habit of sinning and makes it easier to sin. He says, habit is defined as the prevailing disposition or character of a person's thoughts and feelings. Habits are the thought and emotional patterns engraved on our minds. These internal habits, uh, habit patterns play just as forceful a role as external influences on our actions, in, in fact, perhaps more so. In fact, researchers say that probably somewhere around 45% of our daily actions are simply habits that we don't really even consciously think about. He says this. He says, as unbelievers, we formerly gave ourselves to developing habits of unholiness, what Paul called ever-increasing wickedness. Every time we sinned, every time we lusted, coveted, hated, cheated, or lied, we were developing habits of ever-increasing wickedness. These repeated acts of unrighteousness became habits that made us, in fact, slaves to sin. But now, Paul declared, just as we formerly gave ourselves to these wicked habits, so we are to give ourselves to developing habits of holiness. We're to put off our old self, our sinful disposition and its habits, and to put on the new self with his character and habits of holiness. To train ourselves in godliness is to discipline and structure our lives so that we can develop godly habits. Putting off these sinful habits is what Paul calls mortifying or putting to death the deeds of the body. Though we are to deal with these habits of unholiness, and we're gonna talk about some real practical ways to do that over the next few weeks. He says, we must not try to do it in our own strength. Breaking sinful habits must be done in cooperation with the Holy Spirit and a dependence upon him. The determination that I'll not do that anymore based upon sheer human resolve has never once broken the shackles of sin. Because Why? The more we think about we shouldn't be doing something, the more we wanna do it, right? You put a box of Krispy Kreme donuts out here and you've decided, say, your New Year's resolution is I'm not gonna eat sweets. The more you think about that you can't eat this donut, eventually you're probably gonna give in and eat the donut. It has to be more than willpower. And here's how the Bible describes it, Galatians chapter five. We'll finish with this. Paul says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, which means as a lifestyle to live under the control of the Holy Spirit, depend on the Spirit, uh, you know, ask Him to fill you, to control you, to help you, empower you, change you. He says, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. You ever feel like there's a battle going on inside of you? If you're a Christian, it's this. It's the flesh and the Holy Spirit. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. But then he says in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love Joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Which list would you rather characterize your life? Which list would you rather characterize your marriage? Which list would you rather characterize your family in general? I mean, the answer is obvious, but we can't magic fairy dust the outcome. Why? Because we reap what we sow. If we sow to the Spirit, we'll have the spirit reap everlasting life. If we sow to the flesh, we'll have the flesh reap corruption. We always reap what we sow. I'm not the exception. You're not the exception. We always reap what we sow. God is not mocked. Don't be deceived. Stop lying to ourselves. I'm not the exception, you're not the exception. If you wanna change the outcomes, you gotta change the choices. If you want a better uh, harvest, you gotta sow better seeds. What's a choice you can make today that's gonna change your life? Maybe for some of you, that choice is to repent of your sins, repent of your self-righteousness, stop trying to save yourself and submit, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to take control as the Lord of your life. For some of you, maybe as a Christian, it's stop trying to do it on your own and, and, and surrender daily and say, Holy Spirit, fill me, help me, control me, enable me, empower me. Maybe it's a sinful habit you need to repent of. Maybe it's a godly habit that you need to embrace. What's a choice that God would have you to make today and implement tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day that could change the trajectory of your life? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me?